Hello and welcome to the Two Button Crew podcast, episode number 14. We will be talking about esports and competitive gaming. My name is Scott and I am joined by Glenn. Hi, today is a two player podcast. So we are just below the uh, frustration threshold for New Super Mario Bros. Wii. <laughs> That's a good threshold to avoid mm-hmm. if you ask me. That will not be the last time that New Super Mario Bros. is mentioned in this esports centric podcast, believe it or not. Oh, did I do a smart? <laughs> <laughs> you did a smart, that's right. Well, let's begin, like we do every podcast, defining the topic. So, what are esports? And what is the culture and community of esports like? This is actually a debate that I had just had with my brothers a little while ago. Ooh. They refuse to acknowledge video games as any type of sport, whether you prefix it with an E or not. Well, that's kind of strange. My thoughts are that video games are, as the name implies, games, which is what sports are. So they're, even if they're not sports in the traditional sense, they are related. They are games. They are competitions. I think that's why they had to add the kind of subcategory and call it esports. I mean, there are some people pushing for competitive gaming to just be called a sport and drop the E, right? But I don't know. I think that that distinction is appropriate. Yeah, I think there's a lot of differences in how esports work uh, just from regular sports. Esports is a lot of like cerebral stuff. Mm hmm. And while that is certainly an aspect of regular sports as well, uh, regular sports also are heavily based on athleticism. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I think just that that key difference. You could be an absolute master of Street Fighter. What's a Nintendo appropriate Street Fighter to mention? <laughs> <laughs> because I don't think they do Street Fighter two any tournaments anymore. Mm. But you can be an absolute master of like uh, Street Fighter two. But in the end, you still won't be able to jog a mile. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've made it up to like two, three miles or something. I mean, it. what it depends on is the temperature. You can't do it mm-hmm. outside in the evening in this month, that's for sure. Well, you're all the way up in Washington. And just imagine what it's like living here in Oklahoma. <laughs> True. <laughs> but there is a physicality to esports. When you gain mastery of a game, those fingers and thumbs are dancing, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I guess at that point we need to ask ourselves, are we willing to co- uh, consider competitive cup stacking a uh, sport? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'd have to. But, I mean, I've heard that with, like, StarCraft, one of the biggest esports games, that the professionals are putting in, like, 200 inputs a second. And I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah, I, I've i never seen it, but I've heard people describe it as their hands just turn into a blur and there's a yeah. ton of, like, <laughs> racket of clicking. I can't imagine what kind of keyboard you'd have to have to uh, put up with that kind of abuse. I know. And you definitely have to consider the impact on the body because competitive players... Oh, wait, players, Star, uh, StarCraft was for the N60... It had an N64 port, so it, it's totally go. fine for us to mention it on the show. Valid. All right, nice. You can tell that the physical part of esports is important, though, because mm-hmm. players will get basically unsponsored. They'll start placing lower and lower the older they get. Mm-hmm. So you have to be young to be at the top if that's what you're going for and you have to have good reflexes so yeah and uh, some something i've noticed and maybe it's just because a lot of esports guys are from like east asia where they are typically thinner uh but it seems like a lot of esports guys are surprisingly like slim you know not not the the fat pudgy guys you would imagine would be good at video games that is a great point that i've never thought of uh i mean there's exceptions i can think of like the guy who literally goes by fat goku (laughs) who plays smash bros but that's a fun mental image (laughs) (laughs) the fact that he calls himself that probably indicates that you're right it's uncommon but the culture of esports is very welcoming while competitive it's an interesting balance everybody's there to win there's money on the line in most cases but 
at the same time, after you take an L and you lose to somebody better than you, they're usually willing to stick around for a couple of minutes and talk about what you could have done better if you ask them. Hmm. So it's a fun way to go deeper on a video game that you really enjoy. I know that there are people who play games that they don't enjoy just to keep raking in the cash, but I wouldn't recommend that approach. Okay. I guess before we should go further, uh, just something that we should get out of the way is I have no experience in uh, esports personally yeah. and Scott which is you why are... we brought in the expert Glenn <laughs> himself <laughs> yes I am an expert in being ignorant on this topic <laughs> well I appreciate you being willing to help out with this podcast anyway so uh, Scott you have some history with uh, being a part of this community a little bit I was really excited when I learned about the first Smash Bros tournament in my area it was when I was going to a local Comic Con and that was on the schedule so naturally I thought, hey, I'm better than all my friends at Smash Bros. I will totally win this tournament. And I think that's what everybody thinks, but you're in for a rude awakening when you meet the people that have really practiced. And at first, even just watching them, I showed up at the event and people are like, this guy always gets first place, this guy, you know, he might have a chance this tournament. And watching them practice, it looked weird. It looked like they weren't really playing Smash Bros but it's just a different method of using the tools that are available mm -hmm. uh, to, to surpass the average player. So I'm like, why are they jumping so much? Why are they using aerials? But turns out those are the fastest moves. And uh, tell me, what Smash Brothers game was it that you got started with? It was Smash Bros. Brawl, which is the most abusable Smash Bros. game probably. So I got spanked really badly by somebody playing the S-tier character, Meta Knight. And yeah. I, I mean, he even rubbed it in. Like he got me off the stage totally out of recovery range. Then he flew down underneath and started hitting me up, juggling me and bouncing me off the underneath of the stage like a good three or four times before he let me die and then he flew safely back because he's Meta Knight and Meta Knight can recover from any point on the screen. Yeah, what was that brawl in the family for, it was like a Kid Icarus based one and they were, uh, Pitt was talking to Paul Tanner, she's telling him, oh, your power of flight only works for five yeah. minutes and he yeah. said, you know, after thinking for a moment, he says, so almost as long as Meta Knight can stay in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Sakurai had a little bit of bias towards some of the characters that he made in, in Smash Bros. But I, that was also pre-patch. Uh, Pre-patchable, yeah. I should say. Nintendo didn't bring any balance fixes to any Wii game. So that was rough, and uh, the future of esports is a little bit brighter now that they're paying attention to the competitive scene, and Nintendo is bringing more and more patches, so... I like that. Brawl Brawl was uh, a hard game to be competitive in. There were only a few viable characters. Yeah, and the cool thing about patches is now we only uh, have to suffer through three versions of Street Fighter instead of, like, seven. <laughs> yes, that's a great point. Yeah, why, why is that still a thing, Capcom? So there are a variety of games that are a good fit for esports, and I think most of the times you see shooters like Splatoon, fighters like Smash Bros. So Glenn, why do you think that these specific genres lend themselves to competitive play? Well, I mean, first of all, they're competitive. A fighter has typically two participants, though, you know, Smash Brothers can have two on two or however many. Yes. I mean, has have we gotten like eight on... How many people can you have now? It's like eight-player Smash now? You can have eight, yeah. yes. Have, have we had like four and four tournaments? They are typically side events. Like they're not going to have as high stakes or big prize pots, but it is fun. I mean, once you get to that many players on the screen, it is less about skill. And that's why it's more of just a for fun thing. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I think if you're on a team, there could definitely be some coordination strategy that goes into it, but... Yes, uh, and I love doubles for that reason, but you got to play with team attack on in Smash Bros. So there's uh, still just insanity on the screen. Okay, I, yeah. I was not aware of that. Again, I don't play tournament Smash. I'm, I'm that guy. You're um, missing out, Glenn. I don't think I am. 
If anyway. you if you find a local one, I will pay your entry fee. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so clearly fighting games are inherently inherently competitive. And you know, we already have martial arts tournaments, so I think that one makes a lot of sense. And there there is a lot of a lot more strategy than you think would go into a game about two buff guys punching each other in the face. Yeah. Shooters, on the other hand, I think, again, it's because they are very competitive. I do think it's strange that we don't see stuff like racing games, because that's a very traditionally competitive thing, and we don't have, like, tournaments for racing games last I checked. You're right, and I wonder if part of that is because they're not as fun to spectate, whereas these fighting and shooting games... They can draw a crowd. You can cheer for the person who's winning. A big portion of tournaments is you've got commentators and people who are constantly breaking down what's going on. And if it's just people driving around, you've got less to say and less exciting yeah. stuff going on on the screen. So that, that get, brings us back to the question of speedruns. Because a lot of times speedruns are framed as races between two highly skilled players. Yeah. Is, is that different? I mean, I would argue, yes, it is, because oftentimes you're, ex- you know, choosing exploits and stuff that probably are a little bit deeper than um, racing games have to offer. Because racing games is mostly, especially if it's a realistic racing game. The problem is games with a lot of randomness, from what I understand, don't work well as esports. You want it to be mostly skill. Mario Kart is out the window. And that leaves us mostly with racing simulators and, yeah, stay to the inside lane. And you know, at that point, you have to wonder, why am I not just watching NASCAR or the Indy 500 or True. some other car race? I don't know. I don't, I don't care. Yeah, about I like cars. that. So you want to lean towards more fantastical things that are mm-hmm. less lifelike and... More yeah, I mean, you, you can't just throw a bunch of people into an arena and have them shoot each other with real guns. <laughs> um, Unless you're the Hunger Games, but again, that's not real. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, that's, that's dystopian. America isn't quite there yet. <laughs> <laughs> How close are we, Glenn? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of afraid to say. I think we may be using, uh, using that as a substitute for um, political debates. Yeah. In, in the near future, but at that point, it's just a civil war, so right. I don't know if it counts. We're getting dark. We'll definitely have to form the two-button crew faction of the civil war when it comes to that. And even speedrunning games, there's still a really vibrant community of people trying to get their completion time way down on any Mario title, really. And uh, Super Metroid is one that has had really long-lasting power. Yeah. It's interesting. I normally don't think of speedruns as being esports. I think of that as kind of its own separate community. Do yeah. you, how how interconnected are those two communities? Are they real tuned into one another, or is it you know kind of similar but different? Yeah, I'd say that competitive esports and speedrunning esports are pretty separate. Like, there's entire events like games done quick and winter mm-hmm. or what is it awesome games done quick and winter and games done quick. summer games done quick i think oh did they add that yeah okay and i don't think that any of those players generally do versus games but it is an interesting subset you ever watch any of those uh speed run events uh yeah i have a few i think i watched one for um octodad and it was oh, really? really interesting. Yeah, watching uh, speedruns is fascinating because you get to learn all the ways the game is broken. Like yeah. Octodad <laughs> at, on PC, this is a PC thing because PC games have to have all manner of settings because you have no clue what the person who buys the game is going to be running it on. One of the settings was to turn down how many iterations it does for the physics calculations. Mm-hmm. And you can literally, if you know what you're doing, you can get Octodad to fly short distances. <laughs> whoa that's awesome yeah he just like (laughs) left his hand and he starts like kind of dangling from this floating arm (laughs) yes yeah i actually recommend checking out it's 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 pretty cool but yeah that's also why we have uh quote-unquote glitchless speed speed runs yeah there's all different kinds of speed runs you can do any percent hundred percent glitching non-glitching doing everything except one certain glitch Mm -hmm. etc and typically nintendo 
games have not been in the center of the esports world. And I mean, other consoles allowed LAN hookups and voice chat and stuff like that. Well, I mean, to be fair, Nintendo has had LAN connectivity since um, the GameCube. The GameCube had a LAN adapter. Yeah? What was yeah. that used for? Uh, Kirby's Air Ride, I know, was one of them. That's Weird. why Kirby's Air Ride has that big LAN option on the start page. Man, that's that's interesting. You know, it's it's another instance of just a Nintendo accessory not getting much use. Yeah. So, although they haven't been entirely tied in with esports, and they are starting to these days, we'll get to that. But I'd say it really all started with Nintendo World Championships, where Nintendo would host these huge events and actually print individual specific cartridges for these competitions. And the cartridge was made up of Super Mario Bros. Rad Racer of all games and Tetris. What the heck is Rad Racer? <laughs> well, Tetris is a great choice. And they've even brought that back in future world championships. But Rad Racer, I think, is the one that the kid uses the power glove with. Do you remember that? Did you uh, ever you mean from movie? The Wizard? Yeah, yes, it's yes. been years. <laughs> um, honestly, I haven't watched it since I was like, I don't know, eight. But yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing that. So it was basically to sell the power glove. Yeah, kind of weird considering that I think the power glove was made by uh, Mattel. So it wasn't yeah. even an official Nintendo product. I thought it was a little strange that they go out of their way to advertise it. But I know. Maybe, maybe Nintendo got a royalty. Yeah. That could definitely have happened. I mean, it still happens a little bit with like the Pokin controller mm-hmm. for that's another fighting game that has some tournaments around it. That that one was made by Hori, the fight pad. So we did have the Nintendo World Championships in 1990, but Nintendo basically turned their back on competitive gaming for a couple decades, and it seems like they really just ignored it until about Super Smash Brothers 4. And it's not even that people weren't trying. It wasn't for lack of efforts on the gamers' part. I mean, Super Smash Bros. Melee is still being played, which is awesome, but on one hand kind of sad because people are lugging around giant CRT televisions to play that game that's coming up on 20 years old. Yeah, so. it's it's actually um, funny you should mention that. I, I recently, my family recently... Uh, got a smart TV, so we're replacing an old CRT television. Oh, uh, wow. So I, I keep saying, we really need to find some Melee cultists to unload this on. <laughs> Man, you skipped like the plasma and the flat screen and just went right to smart TV from CRT, huh? Well, I mean, we, we do have a plasma TV in the living room. This would be the one in my parents' room Yeah, that's being replaced. But yeah, if, if I haven't made it... Uh, like painfully obvious my family <laughs> is cheap um i think maybe it might have something to do with being like primarily scottish or scots irish but then again racism is simeon's thing so yeah we'll save that for when he gets back we'll remind him to insult your family okay <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean melee is, is hugely popular competitively And, I mean, people are breaking their backs, carrying the TVs around, they're breaking their hands, doing all the fast inputs and the wave dashing that the game accepts. But Nintendo stayed clear of events basically until Super Smash Bros. 4. Then they finally started sponsoring a few tournaments Mm -hmm. and sending representatives as well. I know that it's kind of been a passion project of Bill Trinan. He's the person that you'll often see translating Miyamoto. He's higher up in the treehouse but he just loves playing Smash Bros. Even if it's on his own time, he'll go out and he'll try his Yoshi out, see how far he can get in the bracket. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, it's it's really great seeing that the, the people who make these games actually do enjoy playing them. But that, that does raise some questions. You know, Nintendo has had Melee, of course, but, you know, Mario Kart and stuff like that. Nintendo has made games about head-to-head competition. And yeah. heck, if you don't want to do Mario Kart, there's always like F-Zero. That's far less random. True, definitely. But then again, it's a racing game, so <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I shouldn't talk about that. 
Mario Kart would almost be fun enough to watch. It's a possibility. And then not only did Nintendo start sponsoring a few events, they actually started holding some of their own at E3. And I have a theory about this. It's like, why why did they suddenly go from paying no attention to competitive gamers to holding tournaments regularly? Well, we all are familiar with how they stopped holding on-stage press conferences and just did Nintendo Directs for a few years until they started renting out the same space and doing tournaments. So it's obviously not a financial reason that they don't have a stage show at E3. They are paying that and more to hold the competitive events. I'm thinking that maybe it's an excitement thing. Like they've had some stage shows that kind of bombed in the Wii era. And for lack of a better way to put it, they didn't have the formula to get the cheers and the claps and the reactions. But if you hold a gaming competition, that kind of takes care of itself. Like the screaming crowds show up to watch the professional Smash Bros players who bring the hype on their own or the Splatoon players. So all they have to do is shoutcast it and they have someone on the treehouse that does a pretty good job of that. So I don't know. Do you think that can be involved with their decision uh, to get back into tournaments? Oh, yeah, I definitely think it's it's partially due to advertising. If you will permit me to be a tad more cynical, I think part of it has to do with the fact that the Wii U didn't do so great. So having officially hosted Smash Brothers tournaments mm-hmm. was probably like extending an olive branch, the hardcore crowd that was kind of displeased with how the Wii U wasn't really like only kind of made half measures towards them in the beginning. Right. And it's like, hey, look, we're, we're cool. We're hip, right? Smash <laughs> Brothers for Wii U. Everybody likes Smash Brothers, right? That's a system seller. It, uh, well, it's a little too, too little too late for the Wii U, unfortunately. But It was. Not so fun fact. Smash Bros. for Wii U is the lowest selling game in the franchise. And... Yeah. That reminds me. I recently... I, I had an extra copy around that I got from a friend of my dad's. And mm-hmm. um, you can s- sell a copy of the N64 Smash Brothers for like 30 bucks. And that's really? like going to an actual resale store. I don't even know how much I could have gotten if I put it on Amazon. Not bad. I actually sold Melee for $50. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, and that's the one that's in the most demand right now, of course, because everybody wants to play it and practice it, but it's not being printed, for, and it hasn't been for a long time. And and 3DS is actually the highest-selling game. Really? So yeah, I'm, that makes sense. I'm hoping Smash Ultimate dethrones them all. Another good signal from Nintendo these days towards esports is they began an entire Twitter account. It's called Nintendo Versus, and this is completely geared towards esports. They're always tweeting about tournaments, covering them live if Nintendo's involved with them, and also putting out patch notes, which is entirely new for Nintendo. Usually it's just, we're putting out an update that's... And trust us, it makes the game better. (laughs) Yeah. You know, stability and bug fixes and everything. Which is to say, we we found an exploit and we don't want you hacking the game, so... Yes. And Smash 4 got a lot of updates, but it was so sad because, you know, there's 50 characters in that one, Mm -hmm. and every single time an update arrived, any character could have any of its attributes tweaked. So the damage that any of its attacks did adjusted by half a percent and people would have to go and find that out by trial and error every single time well scott i hate to break it to you but this this is a common practice in the games industry i think it's called perfect imbalance yeah where you deliberately make your game slightly uh imbalanced slightly off kilter so Mm -hmm. you can keep patching it and that keeps people talking about it because they're kind of the meta is constantly Shifting. Yeah, it's a thing that's uh, very common in MMOs. My brother was telling me about it, and yeah, so it's it's a, a technique to try to keep people constantly examining the meta of your game and thus perpetually engaged in the, the community and so forth. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it gets the player to turn on the game, try everything out, and who knows, maybe they'll go into another mode and keep playing it after they're done with that. Yeah, it it's kind of like the online. Uh, content patches in Splatoon. Right. Yeah, definitely. But thankfully, specific patch notes are starting to be put out. And I mean, that will still cause conversations, even if Nintendo outlines the attributes that have changed. 
people are still going to either rejoice or complain about it when their character gets buffed or nerfed. And if you haven't heard those terms before, that just means made better or made worse. Yeah, buff as in like getting strong buff and nerf as in like turning a gun into a nerf gun. So, for example, Bayonetta needs a huge nerf in Smash Bros. Yep, just strap the nerf guns and start <laughs> firing foam darts. Or, you know what? Those whistle darts, those are cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The ones with, like, the little the little hole in it that makes the... Yes, I, I need to see those shooting out of her high heels. <laughs> That'd be perfect. Well, I'm sure someone will, will mod it. It's just one of these things. <laughs> So I'm glad to see Nintendo moving toward esports and serving those fans better and it certainly is a win-win situation because it gets their name out there a lot more and a lot more publicity for their games, especially these days when tournaments are recorded and live streamed. That's a huge portion of Twitch traffic. All right, what are our favorite competitive games? Do you want to go first, Doc Glenn? Um, sure. So I don't really get to play multiplayer a whole lot because I don't have friends. <laughs> uh, or at least not friends that I can interact with in meet space. I have, you know, two buying crew, but... Do you want to play online with us? Uh, yeah, sure. If, if we could, like, actually have <laughs> a schedule <laughs> or something. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, I've been meaning to pick up Splatoon sometimes, so... Mm. Even if you did... You might have to go to a different community. I mean, Two Button Crew is small, but I don't see many Splatoon players. Mm-hmm. But I could recommend some good places to find. Uh, and, and it's a good game. It deserves to be played more. But, yeah, of course, I love the Super Smash Brothers series. I've been addicted to the series ever since I saw that first commercial. Not first played it, for ever since I saw the first commercial. <laughs> and I think it's actually for me it was a great introduction to the idea of a fighting game because it's a fighting game that plays like a platformer i'm pretty good at platformers that's kind of what my specialty so it's it's very easy for me to was very easy for me to make that transition um and actually uh, a funny story is i remember playing Star Fox assault way back in the day what is that one with the like zonas sea base it has all the walkways with no guardrails yeah, that one's pretty horrible. Well, I remember playing that, and actually, you know, I had this one friend who was really good at it, but actually, like, doing way better than normal. And it's just because I could run away and by, like, skipping across the platforms. And it's just because I'm good at platformers. <laughs> so they couldn't, uh, my, you know, friends couldn't chase after me because they just fall to their death. So that is a really interesting way for platforming skills to come back into relevancy. <laughs> yeah. So huh. uh, if I can get a, a, a feel for the character's sense of weight, I'm actually pretty good at doing s- stuff like that. In the same vein, uh, you know, in, well, fighting games, not platformers. I, I like Street Fighter. And actually, the way I got into Street Fighter is kind of strange because it's a little bit backwards from what you'd expect. So uh, I've mentioned this before in other places, but I, I do martial arts. And so one of the things I, I constantly hear at, at classes is people making jokes about Street Fighter or Tekken or whatever. And I eventually had like this realization, hey, you know, I'm a gamer and I've never played this long running series. Again, I, I try to be familiar with the classics at the very least. So I played it and I realized that, oh, hey, Street Fighter, you know, I thought it would be a mindless button master, but it's actually, it, it's very much about timing and distance, which is a lot of what you're doing in regular martial arts. And so I, I appreciated the fact that it's had certain parallels. And so basically I'm willing to give any martial arts based uh, fighting game a chance. And have you tried some ones that stuck and others that didn't? Yeah, um, I like Street Fighter. And I like the older Street Fighters better than the newer ones for whatever reason. Like, okay. uh, I'd say my favorites are Street Fighter 2 and uh, Street Fighter EX plus Alpha, believe it or not. I also like, and this is another non-Nintendo one, unfortunately. I would really love it if the next one came to Switch, though. Uh, Virtua yeah. Fighter. Okay. Any, any chance it actually will? I mean, if Sega actually makes another Virtua Fighter, then okay. probably, probably. probably. I, I th- They're selling lots of Sonic Mania and 
I don't know. I think they have other franchises, but I yeah, don't know it's been like six or seven years since the the last one, and that was an updated version. Um, yeah. But I did actually buy a PlayStation Three just to just to give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Ones that haven't stuck, I tried playing Garo: Mark of the Wolves, mm-hmm. and part of it was that. I was playing the Arcade Archives version, so I didn't have like a training mode or anything like that to really uh, get a feel for the game, and the game is very technical. Oh, yeah. So you kind of need that, but it's the arcade version, so it, it just, you know, you, you plop in the virtual quarter, you know, you hit like a button to actually insert a virtual quarter. Yeah. And, which is fun. Uh, but,. You know, it's just fun, like hitting the button and going, "Hey, I'm spending hundreds of dollars <laughs> on this one game." Um, Wouldn't that be horrible if a bill showed up in your mailbox? Like, uh, no, week? no, Scott, no, don't give EA any ideas. <laughs> um, Garo: Mark of the Wolves. It's not a bad game, but it it made me appreciate having charge characters because none of the characters, as best as I can tell, were strictly charge or strictly what do you call them, motion characters. Like I want to call them rotational characters, but oh, rotary okay. characters. I might be thinking of something else. Uh, but yeah, rotary characters or charge characters, and it, it. I never realized how that does make each character feel different to play. I mean, there right. are a few charge moves, but they're typically paired with like quarter uh, circle motions, and it just kind of all blended together. Also, I've tried my hand at Tekken and. It can be fun, but I just I do not agree with the fundamental design philosophy of Tekken. One of the things yeah. I really liked about Street Fighter is each button is an individual technique. It's mm. up to you to figure out how they all fit together, which is how actual martial arts works. So you're given a bunch of techniques. You know, you have your jab, you have your cross, uppercut, roundhouse kick, and so forth. And it's up to you to figure out how those fit together with your fighting style. Yeah. Street Fighter lets you do that. Uh, Virtua Fighter, a little bit less so, lets you do that. Tekken just uh, like slams its hands on the table and glares at you, glares daggers at you if you try to do that. Because <laughs> um, basically, it's it's like you have a bunch of sequences of button imp- inputs, and those are what determine if your attacks string together in a fluent manner. Otherwise, you have to like finish your att- the animation, sit there for a second, and then the next one will fire. And so okay. it's, this is a very nerdy way to put it. I apologize that most of you probably won't understand what this means without having to look it up. But uh, I describe it as Tekken reduces fighting to a finite state machine. All right. There's there's, there's only a, a select number of paths that you can take uh, to get mm-hmm. to a, to a valid end state, and it, I don't know. I'm I haven't played any of the modern ones, but it just even when it's when I've had fun with it, it's it's always been despite the way it controls. I see. All right, my turn. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, the first game that I ever started taking seriously in a competitive manner is New Super Mario Bros. for the DS. Yes, and you, you've told this story, I believe, before on the show, right? Yes. So if you want to see a portion of a video that I dedicated to this, you can look at episode 526 of the Two Button Crew show on YouTube or on twobuttoncrew.com. It's called Most Fun Bonus Modes Ever, and it was uploaded in May of 2017. Oh, wow. You, you had that ready. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was trying to like see if you that that would uh, stump you. It's like, oh uh, yeah, we did that on the show like some time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was all off the top of the dome. No, not at all. I looked it up on our handy dandy spreadsheet. Spreadsheets are good for you, kids. So, my family traveled a lot. My dad was a missionary, so mm. he would often pack up the kids in the van. And of course, my mom as well. I'm, uh, I'm imagining him like loading y'all yeah. into the back of the, the car and like having the tire arms and legs and put some padding between you. <laughs> yeah, and our padding was totes of homeschool work. So there's that. So, as you can imagine, me and my siblings liked portable gaming a lot. So, we had our DSs and New Super Mario Bros. I think we tried the mini game mode, but 
what we really stuck with was Mario versus Luigi mode. And this was awesome. You could play either with one cartridge or two. It was better when we both remembered our cartridges because then loading times would be a lot less. But otherwise, it was the same experience. So this is awesome. You can play this with two DSs and one game. And, uh, I mean, it still works on modern 3DSs and everything, so I definitely recommend checking this game out. It's a really good competitive mode where it's side-scrolling Mario, but it actually loops, and you're both in the environment at the same time. You, You are not racing, again, because it's a loop, but you are looking for stars that randomly spawn in the level. You can also get coins. Every eight coins you get gets you a power-up that you can use in combat because when you come across each other, you can hit each other with fireballs, you can jump on each other, you can try to force someone into a pit. And if anybody gets hurt, a couple of stars uh, goes out of their body. So first person to get to five or ten, however you adjust the settings, that determines the winner. And so, Super Mario 64 DS had kind of a similar thing going, didn't it? Uh, it had the mini game mode, but no. No, Mario it had a, it had the chase the stars mode, if I recall correctly. Really? Okay, I'll, I'll look that up. Yeah, uh, I think it was like it was weird. You started as Yoshi and you had to find like hats. I only played it like once or twice with some cousins. Okay, interesting. So what I described sounds pretty basic, but what I loved about it is you can actually do a lot of mind games with your opponent and you can learn a lot of advanced techniques. So I named all of the techniques and spelled them out in that video that I mentioned earlier. And I had to do that because nobody else was really taking the mode seriously. It was just me and my brother. And what I loved about it is with a lot of versus games that you play with your sibling or your best friend, you kind of plateau at skill and Mm -hmm. you, you kind of match each other and trade wins and losses pretty evenly but in this game we never stopped getting better and it wasn't one-sided either sometimes tom would discover a new technique sometimes i would i mean doing things that i don't think the developer ever intended but wasn't glitchy at all so yeah i guess that that leads to the question what is your uh your opinion on glitches and exploits in uh competitive (laughs) games uh it kind of bums me out when an advanced technique is really hard to pull off because I think that really narrows the player base. Like, okay, so you're you're not like a, a sneering elitist when it comes to competitive games. No, I'm not. And I think that... But you combos... still look down on me for using items. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll never stop looking down on you. For using items? Come on, Glenn. It just it, it makes the game more dynamic, you know? Yeah. You have to you have to think on your feet. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, okay, can I this guy knows I have a bat. It has a huge windup. I can't let let him get it. So do I try to go for the home run or do I just toss it over the side of the stage? Yeah, and that's the same mentality and thought process with your standard moves as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, New Super Mario Bros. DS, yeah. endless fun. Kind of reminds me, actually, you talking about that. I once stumbled across, uh, I should have posted this on, like, our Slack channel or something. Uh, that's that's how we communicate with each other, for those of you who don't know. I actually found a YouTube channel that had, like, some um, custom robo meta strategy for, like, how to trigger cancels and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's just like, that makes me happy. It makes me happy knowing that that, <laughs> that information exists out there somewhere. But I shouldn't talk about this game the whole episode, so I'll go ahead and move on. Super Smash Bros. has got a couple dozen shout-outs already in this episode, but I will say that it's been super fun to be with that community to get better. I've tried my hand at hosting tournaments. We did a collaboration video on the Nintendo Force channel about how to host esports locally, so go and look that up if you'd like. It's a great experience, and what I'm liking right now with Super Smash Bros. is doubles. I don't have enough time to remain competitive and get farther than a match or two in a bracket these days on my own, but what I am a lot better at is doubles, so I love finding partners to play with, and it's 2v2, team attack on, and it's a completely different game. Lots more strategy, and I enjoy the teamwork, so... 
simple things like you want to hit your opponents toward your teammate so that they can land a hit before a hit stun is gone. You want to throw towards your opponent for the same or towards your teammate for the same reason. And there's also times when your teammate couldn't recover on their own and you get the chance to, if you react fast enough, go jump down off the stage, land an upward hit on them and try to save your teammate. So I like that. There's more stocks in the game because a lot more chaos. You want it to last a little bit longer. So they're typically a bit longer games, more strategy, uh, more options, more chances to come back. If, if you are struggling against one opponent, you can ask your teammate to switch and uh, try to go for the other one as well. Or maybe you just need yeah. to be what they call a stock tank and try to remain kind of above the fighting and take as little damage as possible so that your teammate can really go in and when he runs out of lives, share your remaining life. Wait, you can share lives? and Huh. Yes, sir. A and B together. Share stock. Okay, so that I have a few questions about that. First of all, why is it that the uh, tournaments use stock as opposed to like time and score counter? Mm-hmm. I just think it's a more fair metric. Like if a time match ends and someone just barely died and their opponent is about to die, but they didn't get the chance to take that last life, then it comes down a little bit to chance it, and it... Um, probably favors the person who gets ahead a little bit and then you know remains aloof like maybe a kirby takes the first stock and then just times out the opponent completely okay yeah i I can see that it uh, prevents avoidant fighting time is still a factor though they will have the stocks on the screen and then there's a timer as well so the match ends one of those two ways so uh, another question I have, you said that sometimes you have to talk to your uh, teammate while you're doing stuff. Is that mm-hmm. like part of the meta? Like how much do I talk? How much do I communicate? Because I presume your opponents can hear that as well. Yes. In big tournaments, you will be sitting on one TV next to your teammate mm-hmm. and your opponents will actually be across from you. TVs will be back to back and you'll be sitting pretty far apart. But anything local... They're not going to have the the funds to have that many TVs and HDMI splitters and everything. You're just going to all be gathered around one TV. And you can sit next to your teammate, but yes, everybody will be able to hear. So That would actually be really interesting if they had it so that it's you, opponent, uh, teammate, <laughs> opponent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that you couldn't talk to them without having to talk over one of your opponents. Yep, and maybe you would just opt for being distracting to your opponents than like <laughs> uttering gibberish nonsense. Simeon would actually do that when sometimes he would charge up an attack, and to make people think he was about to release it, he would be like ah, and then people would waste their sidestep or something like that, and then Simeon would hold on for another second and then release the button. So it was pretty funny. Uh actual mind games not just like yeah. doing weird stuff in the the game <laughs> yep all right so the last one i want to talk about is fortnite oh my goodness i want to have a fortnite centric podcast can we please do that glenn i get, i mean i guess i could download it and play it so. okay you watched one of our live streams and you said i think i have to check this game out but you haven't yet I think what I said was that I'm very, very busy with a lot of stuff, and I don't want to, like, if this game is as addicting as you say it is, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm someone who has, a, it, it's very easy for me to, to slip into, like, habitual behavior, so. Right. Yeah, and I will say, over the last month, I have put in 100 hours in Fortnite, so there's definitely... Let, let, let me put it this way. I'll, I'll download it if you guys uh, want me to, and I'll, I'll uh, play it with you on like a live stream or something. Okay, sounds good. And Some people just tune out when they see or hear the words Fortnite. Other people, they've tried it. Sorry, sorry, exactly what? what I, 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 I zoned out there for a second. <laughs> But don't sleep on this game just because it's free or just because it's popular, or just because it's also on mobile platforms. I'm, I'm hesitant just because I know that it's apparently really addicting. 
and yeah. I, I don't want to because I know I if I'm gonna want to get good at it and well it, it's that and that I don't have really again I don't have a lot of people gamer friends to, to hang out with so it's mainly made to be played solo online and you can definitely hook up with friends and go duos or squats but you'll want to gain most of your skill by playing solo I think that mm-hmm. way you're not like dragging your teammates down yeah isn't but, there like supposed to be a single player mode at some point like a, a story mode Okay, so Fortnite was originally a single-player game called Save the World, and it was player versus environment. Mm-hmm. But once Player Unknown's Battlegrounds or PUBG got so popular, Fortnite was like, "Wait a second, our game engine can do everything that this game is doing, maybe better." So they made the battle royale mode, and that's the one that took off. Okay, and, and that's but, what they're pretty much solely focused like, on right now. Save the World is still in development and that's going to be multiplayer too isn't it like Couldn't it's tell you. i i think i heard that it's like an early access yep if you have somehow avoided knowledge of fortnite it's a third person shooter 100 people play at the same time we mentioned hunger games earlier in this podcast and that's it's basically hunger games so you gotta drop down from the sky find weapons find shields protect yourself gain materials for building which is the weirdest element to me. It's a shooter where you can build different shapes and structures and everything, and and that's where the learning curve is. Fortunately, you don't have to build to get your first victory even. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I've never really been able to wrap my head around is the building because you're constantly on the move. So those two elements just to me seem completely at odds because if... I have the option to build. I want to build a castle with like <laughs> turrets and buttresses and oh, uh, you know all, all of that good stuff. Yeah, but I am having a fantastic time with Fortnite. I have won probably ten times. Oh, you've actually in, won. Yeah, mostly in solo, a uh, few in duos, one in squads. So I have this spreadsheet with. <laughs> Circling back to spreadsheets, where I keep track of which games I've beaten and which games I've 100%ed. Mm-hmm. So at that point, once I got a victory in each of the modes, I considered the game 100% beaten. I don't know. It's it's hard with a game like Fortnite to determine that. But the reason I say esports is because there are awesome, huge events and streamers that make a full-time living off of just playing this game. So I've been having fun watching Ninja in particular on YouTube and... Just seeing what a guy who devotes his entire life to can do with it is pretty fascinating. Uh, I, I can't imagine devoting my entire life to one game. <laughs> <laughs> Though I suppose if I did that, I probably would. It would probably be Super Mario sixty four. But yeah, uh, Panikin, I think his his name is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Panikin two thousand twelve already has done that. So there's wow, yeah. Seriously, if you've if you've never seen his stuff, that's the kind of he he's like reverse engineering the engine slowly, mm-hmm. and so he talks about how oh you know they program this part of the game by doing uh, this gotcha. weird thing, and this is how you can exploit it. And so um, if, if you've ever heard the expression, but first we need to talk about parallel universes, he's the one who <laughs> who came up with that. Uh, that's awesome. In closing, with my favorite competitive games. I think Fortnite is perfect for this podcast because it truly feels like you're logging on, you're quickly getting into a match that feels like an eSport. You're playing with 99 other people and every time testing your skill against other real players and just seeing how far you can get in it. So it, it feels like a free eSport that is convenient and fun and accessible to everybody. So please download the game. It's free. And I'm not just talking to you, Glenn, but I am definitely talking to you. <laughs> Are you talking to me or talking at me? <laughs> oh, consider yourself talked at, sir. So, Glenn, we have talked about the history and our own personal experiences with esports. Or what lack of about... experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. What do you think about the future of the topic? The trend I've seen is a lot of team-based stuff has kind of popped up here in the last few years, MOBAs especially. 
I don't know if that's going to continue, but I think with stuff like Splatoon, that seems to be a pretty safe bet. So what do you think about recent news that esports could actually be considered, if some people have their way, for the Olympics? I am going to be that guy and say, I honestly don't think that the uh, esports belong in the Olympics. Mm. From what I understand, the Olympic Commission is being very hesitant about it, and they're not really explaining themselves well. Okay. But me personally, I think the Olympics is about athleticism, trying to be the physical perfection of the human form or whatever you want to, you know, however flowery term you want to (laughs) use to describe it. And so I think something that's a little bit more abstract, like esports, probably Mm -hmm. isn't a good fit. Uh, Secondly, the Olympics, they, they plan out who's going to be hosting it like two decades in advance. Right? right, and the world of video games just moves. I think moves too fast for that to be viable. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, the the thing is, esports. I hate to be super cynical about this because I I do respect esports. You know, even if I don't, I'm not really interested in that. I do think that there is value to it. Esports, however, is a highly commercial thing where it's like, what are people playing at the esports? The newest, shiniest games. Yep. You know, it's a you know, if you may, your game is headliner at Evo, that's because you have a huge marketing push. Mm-hmm. A lot of the games in the Olympics are very established, very traditional, physical based things. So, I honestly, I this is where I would say kind of agree with your brothers in a sense. I I don't think I would go so far as to say esports aren't sports, but I do think that it's better for traditional sports and it's better for esports if they're kind of stick to their own venues where each of them can individually shine on their own. I do like that. I think if we added esports to Olympics, then it would just open the door to so many different sitting activities like board games and card games and yeah, Olympic know, poker painting. Yeah, I think, poker. I, yeah, I, so think I once heard painting was once a part of the Olympics back in like 1912 or something. Oh man. But yeah, we got rid of that one. Look at these split. <laughs> I don't I'm know. not I really think chess disappointed. Might have been an Olympic uh, event uh, at one point. Well, I got a soft spot for chess, so maybe I'd be okay with that. But yeah, board games are dead. Computers, computers basically <laughs> killed that. <laughs> I don't mean video games. I mean the the fact that basically you can just make a neural net optimize the strategy. Says the developer. Well. I'm I'm not really disappointed if esports are kept out of Olympics. In fact, I think we really don't need that. We yeah. don't need that kind of approval or attention. You know, if you wanted to, you could have a esports events every four years and call it the Olympics. Oh, there you go. I actually like that a lot. Yeah, Olympics. Because I mean, I think everybody who likes video games has already discovered competitive gaming. Mm-hmm. Anybody who would want to take it that seriously, and I think if we were to air esports on Olympics, you would just be showing it to a lot of people that don't care. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't care about most of the Olympics <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> as far as Nintendo's involvement in the future of esports, I would say that. We're doing pretty good on in-person events. I like how Nintendo's becoming involved with them, and I think mm-hmm. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is going to be fantastic. All those Melee lovers who get to play as every character that was in that game again. Yeah, I mean, I am a little bit sad, saddened that Nintendo is endorsing the competitive scene because it, it makes my... it. <sighs> How do I put this? It's one of those things where I think the more the competitive scene grows, the more people say, oh, the proper way to play this game is, you know, without all this stuff. Instead of saying, oh, well, the proper way to play this game is the way that my friends and I all agree is fun. It's like, no, I want to be a (laughs) tournament. I want to play tournament style, which is kind of true of any activity as soon as you, like, make rules and tournament official tournament rules everybody starts playing by those instead of doing the way that's the most fun yeah um, and i like going back to martial arts you can argue that's happened i, I was with, listening to a video just today talking about how taekwondo nowadays is incredibly focused on speed where it hmm. used to be focused on um strength uh strength yeah all because they they changed the way scoring was done. They introduced electronic oh. scoring, and you know scoring a knockout was way less important. Wow, huh? 
So yeah, I see your point. I I do think if any company is capable of balancing that for fun and for glory aspect, it is Nintendo. That is a good um, point. They they should provide both options. Whether or not the player base leans heavily towards one. Oh, so you you finally come around to see things my way. (laughs) (laughs) I agree that Nintendo will provide the option. Uh, And I think that's good. I don't think we should only have one method of play encouraged. But as far as online esports, I think Nintendo's got a long way to go. We really need them to have a good voice chat option that doesn't require a smartphone. Yeah, especially for people like me who don't have smartphones... Yeah, um, I, I know uh, our fans expect me to hold it up, so I am holding <laughs> it up. You can't see it because this is an audio podcast, but I'm holding up my, my slide phone. You are up a creek without a smartphone, sir. I think that should be the title of your memoir, your autobiography. There you go. Take that one for free. Low-tech programmer. <laughs> that is weird. Um they should have a reputation system where right now the only metric of how good I am at a game is on my profile how many hours I've played of it, which doesn't mm. really tell you anything. So they got to fix that. And also, speaking of things they have to fix, the friend systems. No more codes. It's too hard to make a friends list and play with people and have a lobby and get into the same game. Nintendo needs to streamline all that stuff if people are going to be competitive on their platform. Right now, games that are doing good, like Fortnite are thriving despite Nintendo. Like they had to jury rig their own voice chat system and have their own Epic account that you can find friends easily with because the Nintendo stuff just does not work. Well, you you say jury rig, but chances are they probably already had voice chat uh, programmed and they just had to, to set it up so that it was compatible with the Switch. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you can only... You can only do that when you're handheld, though. So if you want to play Fortnite on your TV, you're not going to be able to reach that headphone jack, and Nintendo didn't give them a port on the controller or even the Pro Controller, sadly. So, you know, you you might do a little jury rigging on your own and get a headphone jack extender cable so it could reach your couch. I don't know. I'll just but. I'll just tape my laptop to my head. <laughs> <laughs> use it like a cell phone. And that's the picture on the cover of <laughs> Up a Creek Without a Smartphone. That actually is a good good cover. I, I will grant <laughs> you that. I, I can uh, graphic design it if you get me the picture. But, yeah, you know, it's interesting. They, they had Miiverse. So that, that makes me wonder, could they reuse, like, some of the code from Miiverse to make like a a platform for people to connect because like having their own source you know we made fun of them for having their own social media platform but that would be a really good way to find people to play with and set up matches yep absolutely so that's all for esports today but if you have your own thoughts or experiences memories at a tournament we'd love to hear that you yes, can and, and please, we really would like to hear from it. I am so lonely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's like throwing it's like throwing messages in a bottle out into the ocean. We know that they're getting it though. That's the weird thing. Our messages, are, we are getting the read receipts, but <laughs> you guys got to reply. Go to twobuttoncrew.com/podcast and comment on the latest episode yeah. we are using discuss so you definitely have one or another account that's compatible or if it's easier for you just email podcast at twobuttoncrew.com yeah well i mean you can log into discuss with a google uh, account like, i know it takes no, no time to set up zero excuses for you listeners yeah we love you but you got to get more communicative Okay, okay, we don't we we don't want to come across as too desperate. It, you know, if if you don't want to talk to us, if you, it, let me put it this way: if you have nothing to say, then it's fine that you don't say anything. A relationship requires communication; otherwise, we're gonna to have to break up. <laughs> you can find more awesome Two Button Crew content at YouTube, where we have our weekly live show that gets streamed live usually on Saturdays, and also broken up into segments that you can consume just like a good mythical morning or something like that throughout the week, youtube.com slash twobuttoncrew. We are at twobuttoncrew everywhere on social media. Make sure you spell it out, T-W-O, button crew. 
and join us on Patreon. Our patrons just enjoyed a free month on us. We didn't charge anybody for July just to say thank you. But we're always making posts there, letting people vote on what games we're going to play, what topics we're going to discuss. And also providing exclusive videos and content. Like uh, oh, we, right. we even had a special uh, edition of the podcast that was an interview with yours truly that is a patron exclusive. And if you donate to Patreon, then you immediately get access to all of that back catalog of uh, question and answers and uh, exclusive gameplay, anecdotes from our own nerdy Nintendo history, like that time uh, Scott went <laughs> like full Jack Nicholson on uh, IGN. <laughs> yeah. I'm yep. making a Shining reference. That's a weird thing is I can ma- I can reference movies I've never seen. <laughs> oh, Glenn. <laughs> uh, the, but that was a great point. I mean, mm-hmm. every single week, the backlog of Patreon show just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, you can sign up for a month and binge it and uh, cancel if you'd like, but we are ad-free on YouTube and on this podcast. So Patreon is just our way of allowing you to say thank you and get some great exclusive benefits while you're at it. Thanks for listening to this episode. We will be back next month either with a collaboration or Fortnite episode because you can't stop me. I am going to keep talking about that game. Thank you very much, Glenn, for your insights and your questions. And uh, Or my lack of make... insights, as the case may be. <laughs> no, it was good, so I thank you. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.